What's happening, weirdos? Seriously, James L. Brooks? How did this? How did this happen? If you don't know, James L. Brooks is one of the greatest living writers and directors who's created and uh, directed and written some of my favorite movies of all time, including uh, Broadcast News, including As Good As It Gets. We talk about both of those at length uh, in this conversation, which I, uh, I'm going to say severely enjoyed. He's, he's, he's been involved with The Simpsons since the beginning, and I met Mr. Brooks uh, when I was so privileged to come in and do uh, two episodes with them, which I always should mention uh, because I'm so proud of them, are available to watch now uh, on, I believe it's on Disney Plus is where The Simpsons are now. They're called Warren Priests. Like, get it? Like, Warren, Warren Peace. Anyway, I'm so excited and so thrilled and so honored that uh, Mr. Brooks took the time. James L. Brooks took the time. <laughs> um, and I'm excited for you guys to listen to it. Um, to get to our Pete's picks, uh, do you guys have any idea what's really in your multivitamin? For those of you that are taking multivitamins, which I hope is all of us because it's so hard to get the vitamins and minerals that we need from food alone. Well, turns out sugars, GMOs, synthetic fillers, artificial colors, not to mention animal byproducts like sheep's wool and gelatin, which of course is made from hooves and hides, hides, are all ingredients that you might find in a multivitamin. Me personally, as a, a 90% vegan, I like to say, this does not groove with me. Enter Ritual. It's not your typical multivitamin. Ritual is clean. It's vegan-friendly, and their formula is made with key nutrients and forms your body can actually use with no shady extras. I take their 18+, plus, uh, Men 18+. plus. It's minty, <laughs> which I like. It has like a minty flavor. Why didn't anyone else think of this? Ritual, first to, first to the mint game. Gentle on your stomach, and the delayed release formulation is designed to dissolve later in the absorptive, less sensitive areas of your gut. That means you can take it with or without food. Me personally, as I just said, I don't eat animal products 90% of the time, so it's very hard for me to get vitamin D, especially when it's not sunny. It's hard for me uh, to get certain things that used to be in our soil and obviously are found in uh, animal products that I would rather get from them, like Omega uh, Brain Stuff. (laughs) That's what I call it, Omega Brain Stuff, which a lot of people get from fish, which I don't like. They have it in there in their vegan friendly formula. Ritual is formulated with key nutrients, uh, as I mentioned, including vitamin D3 to help fill gaps in the diet, which no matter how hard we try, we all have. You'll always know where the nutrients come from because Ritual is made traceable. You can trace it back with their one-of-a-kind visible supply chain. Ritual is designed with different stages of life in mind, which is why I take the men 18+. plus. They also have men 50+. plus. Obviously, they have the same uh, for women as well. Ritual multivitamins are scientifically developed to help support different life stages, all of the different life stages. Ritual makes healthy habits easy. Your multivitamins are delivered to the door every month with free shipping always, which makes it something you don't have to remember, something that you can rely on and make an easy and healthy part of your routine. Or dare I say, your ritual? You can start, snooze, or cancel your subscription anytime. And if you don't love Ritual, and they're minty multivitamins, what are you, a monster? But if you don't love it, within your first month, they'll refund your order. You deserve to know what's in your multivitamin. That's why Ritual is offering my listeners 10% 
All weirdos, you get 10% off during your first three months. Go to ritual, R-I-T-U-A-L dot com slash weird to start your ritual today. This episode is also brought to us by our friends, another Pete's Pick, Honey. These days, obviously, we do all of our shopping online. It's pretty much the only shopping we can really do, and certainly the only shopping that I do. And that's where today's sponsor, Honey, comes in. It's the free browser extension that scours the internet for promo codes and automatically applies the best one to your purchase that is available at checkout. Honey is basically your online shopping best friend. Here's how it works. Couldn't be an easier way to support this podcast. Go uh, get Honey on your computer for free in two easy clicks by going to joinhoney.com slash weirdo. Then when you're checking out at one of its over 30,000 supported sites, Honey pops up. And all you have to do is click apply coupons. Within a few seconds, as wait, you have to wait a few seconds as Honey searches for coupons. I say it both ways for that site. And if Honey finds a working code, it'll apply the best one for uh, to your card. This is so much better than my previous method of just Googling uh, promo code and what I'm buying and going to some weird GeoCity site that's giving my computer a virus all for a code that doesn't end up working anyway. That doesn't work. Honey does work, and it works fast, and I can't mention this enough. It is free. I bought some noise-canceling headphones. Mine had gotten all gnarly recently. Boom, at checkout. It popped up automatically. I saved about 12 14 bucks. Between 12 and 14 bucks. Was it 13 bucks? I'm not saying. Honey has found over 17 million members, uh, and they've saved them over $2 billion. Honey supports all kinds of retailers, from tech, as I mentioned, to gaming sites, fashion brands, and even food delivery. If you have a computer and you want to show your support of this podcast and you want to save some money, Honey should be on it. Get Honey for free today at joinhoney.com slash weirdo. That's joinhoney.com slash weirdo. All right, guys. Hope you enjoy this chat with uh, Mr. L. Brooks. Boy, I loved it. Get some ritual vitamins in your life. Get some honey on your browser. You know what I mean. And enjoy this chat. Get young to it. Hey, how you doing, man? Hey, there he is. Well, there's a there's a logo with a J on it. There you are. Oh, there you go. Come on, come on, James L. Brooks. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I always think of The Simpsons, where you were on, and they said, "Can I call you Jim?" <laughs> and he said, James L. Brooks is good. How's it going? Oh, let's see. Um, these are the times that try men's souls. Yeah. Summer Patriots, Winter Soldiers. Yes. Absolutely. And how are you? How is your soul handling all of this? Um, erratically. Erratically. Uh, it's, it's, it's a roller coaster. Yeah. I'm the same way. I Val and I, that's my wife, every day we just sort of update one another on sort of where we are in the emotional schedule. And we're and we're sort of like always, no matter how weird the world is, we're still going around going like, why am I depressed? Why am I depressed? It's so it's right. Like, you're, so, you're so right. It's so exact. Right? It's so exactly or or in, in my or or if you suddenly are angry over you know, just yes. something that big and it consumes you. And you, yes. the last thing you say to yourself, I'm living at the worst time in the modern history of the planet. You, ah. don't, you just don't say it to yourself. Right. 
I'm not. Because forced- what you do say to yourself is, I'm so lucky that I, you know, and I am, and I am, and you count your blessings, but man. The, the, the psychic toll of all of this bleeds into our relationships and our mood. And, and I'm going around today. I, I don't normally share this with the guests. I don't want to be a bummer, but I'm walking around going like, I am in a funk. I'm in a funk today. This is your funk? This is this my is funk. Your, this is your funk? <laughs> How dare you? How dare you even what? grace what you're doing as a funk? <laughs> well, I am excited to talk with you, and I'm honored that, that you're here. Um, and I took a little nap, and I dreamt that we were late, and that I, uh, and I started asking you all these things I wanted to talk about, and then the connection dropped. So none of those things are actually happening. Everything seems to be fine. <laughs> oh, my God, you asked. That is too much. He just mimed the sound going out too much. How, how do you find your funkage? Are you funking in and out? Are you? Um, yes. Yes. Yes, and by the way, I mean when you, it, it's sort of insane not to. Yes, it's you'd have to be insane. Yeah, the the to not be susceptible. The Republican to the... the Republican Party is definitely in an alternate universe, behaving by rules none of us understand. And um, you know, I mean, it's just it's just. Um, we, I never knew Satan's army would be that well-dressed. <laughs> That's so funny. I was just watching, to prep for this, I rewatched Broadcast News and Albert Brooks's brilliant speech, which you, of course, wrote about, like, the devil's not going to have a, a pointy horns yes. and a tail. Yes. Which, by yes. the way, growing up in the religious community, that was something we used to say all the time. We were like, it's going to be like a good-looking carrot. Like, so that was like a <laughs> carried over. People never told me it was from broadcast news, but they were like, he's going to be like charismatic and engaging and slowly degrade the values where they matter the most. And I was like, this is very timely. I wanted to talk to you about your experience in the news and people seem to be losing their faith in the news. I, I see Social networks are going to split into two. There's going to be one for conservatives. There's well, going to be one for liberals. It's, it, it, you know, it turns out what we think is just the, 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 when we think of just sort of the accidental meanderings of, um, of an egomaniac is actually the playbook of every democracy that ever lost its democracy. Hmm. I mean, that's, that's what they do. They, they, they have to get rid of the press. They have to run that down. These are the things they must do. Mm. Um, they need yeah. a target. They need they need they need to demonize a group. It's all absolutely necessary. I think what I was even looking hoping for was you having made a brilliant movie about the news, and me wanting to have some faith in the news. You know, I, I have family members that are sort of into QAnon and like, and all the conspiracies and everything's fake, and I'm like. But it's not fake. There's news. There's the Associated Press. There's this. There's this. And I, I realize I don't really know. I'm not an expert on why you can believe the news other than what I've seen in movies. I was wondering if you could maybe give me a little boost of like, well, there's a standard. Echo chambers are a new thing. That's a new thing. Yeah. I mean, certainly in this being such a pillar of our existence, 
you yeah. know, it certainly, it certainly happened to me. It certainly, you know, I turn on MSNBC to feel exactly the way, to see people feel exactly the way I do. Right. And, you know, I, I have my, you know, the self-justification, the self, you know, so it's, there's trouble with that. There's, there's real trouble with that. And there, right. I don't think there is no, I mean, I think the New York times is, is, is a miracle of the world. Um, mm-hmm. What they do every day is, is I, I just can't conceive of how it's done. And then, and then if you want to see it in, uh, in New York magazine, that they do a big story about the times and you see how difficult their journey is right now with all the stuff that's happening at every newspaper with people having a certain voice and with you're doing this wrong and you're doing, you're incorrect about this. That's inappropriate. Ooh, look what we have in the work. So that that's added to the whole, you know, the people disagree about the mission. The mission isn't to be impartial sort of. There's a way to talk about that. There is no objective truth. There is when all lives are subjective, there is no, what the hell's objective truth doing here, you know? And mm-hmm. they warned us, alternate truths, alternate facts. Was that what she said way back yeah. when? Yeah, alternate facts. That's right. Yeah, wow. Well, I'm glad to know that I, I, I read the Times too. So I'm glad to know that. I just don't know what I would say to a family member that was like, Biden is a pedophile and they have, we have the sources. And I'm just like, I don't even know how to enter this conversation. And I think a lot of people feel that way. So they just kind of, back out the door. I was talking to somebody, I was like, is it a good thing to have a a Facebook for liberals and a Facebook for conservatives? I was like, isn't that going to ruin everything? Isn't that like what stops the discourse and, and, and isolates and blows up the bridges and the tunnels and leaves us all to our own. I'd also like to say, Jim, this is not the podcast you're on really. This is a silly fun time. I'm here to celebrate your work. (laughs) I'm here to tell you how great you are. And we'll talk about comedy and creativity, but it's just. Well, I would much prefer my rage as a subject. (laughs) (laughs) We can do whatever you want. I'm just, I'm not going to assume you've ever listened to the show. This is the the James L. Brooks time. We're going to talk about you. We're going to talk about creativity. We're going to talk about some evergreen things that regardless of who's in office, we'll be able to enjoy and celebrate. But, you know, to get it off our chest. Okay. There's any. It's, a, it's up to, to us. <laughs> oh, I wasn't stopping you. I was stopping me. <laughs> I was stopping me. Was the news simpler when you were working in it and when you met? I mean, well, obviously it was. Well, my God. Uh, it saved us. It saved us again and again and again. Mm. You know, it was, that's it. That was generally what journalism was about. Um, and I think it started, I, I, I think on a television basis, um, it must've started in the second world war when, Mm -hmm. when there were, you know, there's, there's an award, the, the, the big award every year is the Edward R. Murrow award. There was such a man. He was like no other man. Um, and he was a a monitor for the democracy in truth. It was like amazing. Mm. And for the downtrodden, it was amazing. It was amazing. See the uh, you can see the old see it now documentaries and there and I read them they were beautifully written there was a guy there was a guy with the most magic name who was who, who was um who who looked like if you did a cartoon of are, are we are doing are we working now no oh 
What do you mean working? Are we oh, recording? Is this, is this, uh, is yeah. This, is this, well, there was, I there was, totally jumped over the welcome to the show in favor of just no, getting I, into I actually, it. I actually always like to be welcome, but... <laughs> well, Jim, but, welcome. But what the hell? There's just another grace note gone. So... <laughs> We're degrading another important area of the world. No, you are a hero of mine. You're one of the finest filmmakers, writers, producers of all time. And I really am touched that you're here. You're in the TV Hall of Fame. for. You frequently days. find yourself saying things where people fall into abject silence as a result of what you just said. Does that happen that's, to you a lot? That's my job as, a, as an interviewer. I'm supposed to leave you speechless so I can keep telling asinine stories from my own life. You've, you've uncovered me in the first moments. In the first moments. In fact, I'm going to do a complete reset here. Let's, let's fuck the news. We're not going to figure it out today. And by the time this comes out, it'll be a whole new batch of stuff. I want to talk to you specifically. Outside of your office, I believe, there's a, a Matt Groening cartoon from Life in Hell called uh, Ways to Die in L.A. And there's nine ways to die in L.A. And the first thing I really would love to talk to you about, talking about balance, talking about a life well lived, talking about having an, an enriched experience here. The last two panels of that cartoon really haunt me. They, they cover guns, they cover traffic, they cover disease, drugs, the police. Drive-by killings. That's right. Yes. And then the last two, tell the people what the last two are. Uh, failure and success. Failure. And it's an image of the guy, the bunny guy, looking very sad. Mm -hmm. And then the next one is success. And it's the this, exact this same. Is given, this is given to me as a gift. Uh, and I, didn't, I, I knew life in hell. I, I, knew, I, I knew it. But this was given me as a gift, and um, and it, I, I I loved it. I, I dissolved, and I you know, I don't, what's what's the sound you make past laughter when you know when just some hilarious thing has pierced the truth and stuff like that. Yeah. And it was my and it's and it's it's faded now and all. You know, it was whatever years ago. I had never met Matt, but when when we were doing the Tracy Ullman show. And we decided to have these little pocket 30-second cartoons or animated cartoons. And, and I said, oh, the guy who did that. And um, <laughs> That's a very big, vague gesture. Oh, the guy yeah. that did that launched yeah. a pretty powerful yeah. revolution, a comedy revolution. <laughs> Give me the yeah. guy that did that. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And then, and then he came in. The way that I heard it was that he was going to pitch Life in Hell, and then sort of called him. No, he audible. didn't want. He didn't want us touching Life in Hell. So as he waited to see me, he says in five minutes. And you know, given given your background, I've always thought of it as God came through him, because mm. because as he sat there, as he sat there for just a few minutes, he he drew what became The Simpsons. He well, he drew it as well. Yeah, I th yeah, I yeah, I think, yes, yes, wow. I'm almost positive. Yes. That is incredible. I love yeah. those stories where, where the pressure's on and we sort of get out of our own way. I mean, that seems to be a big part of your process. There was a beautiful playwright yeah. who used to call that the sky blue rack, that you just went, oh, you know, that suddenly you reach for the sky blue rack. Again, sort of a heavenly kind of. Yes, the sky blue rack. And The Simpsons itself, I don't know if you ever read the, I'm sure you didn't, The Gospel According to The Simpsons, but it took special note 
that the Simpsons starts in heaven, that it starts with a sky blue rack, basically. That's, uh, starts, that's my favorite line from the show. That's just cl- where the bullies and, and, and Bart are lying on the, and they're talking about existential things. And they said, that's just cloud talk. Oh my God, that's just cloud talk. Well, isn't it? It's hard to sort of lasso cloud talk and bring it back into the <laughs> real realm, isn't it? Yeah. I But I love that the, he didn't want to lose the rights to life in hell. Everything that he had ever signed and done with that would have gone away. And he has his meeting with you. I have to think he was excited for it. He's pretty relatively unknown, you know, in, in the national scheme. I know that I knew about life in hell. But it wasn't like the hugest thing in the world. It wasn't Charlie Brown. And he just calls an audible. And I have to think about like the mood you must have been in that day. Like you rolled with it. The the pitch for The Simpsons isn't that crazy. It's an animated, dysfunctional family, but something gelled. And if you look, and if you look at and if you look at those first ones that he did for the Tracy Ullman show, which were um th- those first ones, it's like it's it looks like as antique as Steamboat Willie. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I remember when The Simpsons had those like uh, tie-dyed red backgrounds (laughs) and the animation was over it and frosty chocolate milkshakes and all that. But I I wonder, do you remember, see, when I was looking at your career, I was like, what does Jim think it is about him? You know, the 11 p.m. test, right? Like, do I want to be with this guy in a writer's room at 11 p.m.? You seem to be a guy that like when you're at the plate, the opportunity comes up. You seem like a, an energy that people just seem to get along with. And I wonder what you make of that, especially in the early stages of your career. It was You seem to be somebody like, let's give this guy a chance. You didn't seem to put your foot in your mouth too much. What on that? Not, I, I don't think it's, I don't think I said, the, the, I, I was unemployed in Los Angeles. Um, I was a very young married. Um, We had come from New York and the job that had brought me here laid me off shortly after we got here. Um, And I had given up a job that I really liked. I was writing news for a radio station in New York and and I had a writer's guild job and it was, um, and I, I had a rent control apartment. I, you know, and I, and I was without any, burning ambition. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I always fooled around with writing, but it was never something that could happen. Never. I mean, well, wait a minute. I must've felt something because I sent away short stories and so I must've had some more ambition than I think I had at the time. Um, and then I got, I read, sorry, Jim, I read that when you were a kid too, you used to kind of escape into creativity. Like it was always sort of a pleasure for you. Um, I, I used to read plays. Okay. As a, as a kid, I, I for some reason there used to there was a magazine theater arts that I used to get in the library, and they had a play in they had a whole play in each issue. Came out once a month, and I like and I read. I mean, I, I read people I thought were funny, and um, yeah, and um, and when I when I came out here, I you know, I, I was unemployed. My wife was supporting us. Um, and I could, and I, I, I just had no idea what I would do. You know, it's always, does everybody always think of the only alternative job being in a shoe store? I mean, I think that's just, is that everybody's 
B plan or or you know, B plan. I, I, feel like it's generational. I always feel like people my age would like, I'll become a teacher because that, that's all we knew. Well, that's, that's a lot better. You get to stand up, you know, that's oh, much, better, much better job. That's fewer much, socks. Yeah. Fewer socks. Break, yeah. yeah that's <laughs> so you, you thought you were going to end up as a shoe salesman and well, you left was, your that, red control. I mean, for some reason, I mean, but, but I'm kidding, but it was just in my mind and I, you know, I had sold. I had I had all these jobs that you you know odd jobs, and um, and and then I wrote uh, you know a spec script that nobody read or anything, and um, and then I was. Who told I, you to I, do that? A friend told you that that's the way. I, it I, a friend of mine had been um, a friend of mine at the time was an associate producer on a television show. Okay. And um, and then I went to a party. Uh, I, I worked like I was brought out here by Walper to do documentaries, and that was mm-hmm. a job I was laid off from. And um, and it was a very good group at Walper. I mean, there were it was, it was really there was an energy to the place. It was uh, a lot of people came out of that. It was you know some fine work and some fine documentaries got made there. And uh, I went to a New Year's Eve party at one of the guys' houses whose, whose name was Bud Weiser. That was his name. <laughs> and, and his girlfriend Cor's light. <laughs> Perfect. And um and it was a grubby group on New Year's Eve and uh and Alan Burns walked in in a tuxedo with his wife beautiful wife in her gown mm-hmm. and uh with all us grubby people and I was introduced to him and he is one of the finest human beings anybody ever met. And I was telling him what I, and he was saying, and he, and he said, I'll get you an assignment. And he had, he, he had created my mother, the car, he had created like four shows that were on the air. And one of them was my mother, the car and, and, um, with the partner. And, um, but and you, I, appro- you approached him. You weren't afraid to approach him. I would him. just you, say, what well, I'm just, I never, you don't expect anything. I didn't, I just was talking to him, you know? Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, a lot of people I feel like would freeze, especially a lot of people, writers kind of get stereotyped. They might freeze. They, So many talented people seem to be self-deprecating and have low self-esteem. And, and you were like, I'm going to go up to that guy with the woman in the gown and the tuxedo. <laughs> many drinks in to New Year's Eve. <laughs> so that helped. <laughs> I mean, this is that's a fortuitous moment. He's, he creates my mother the car. I don't know anything about my mother the car other than I, I, I don't even know that. I think I was just talking to the guy in the tuxedo. Wow. And um, and uh, and he said, "I'll get you." And he just got me a, a rewrite job on it, and um, and that got me started. Based on the spec. No, based on nothing. Based on uh, the guy at the party. <laughs> I am so glad I asked. See, I, I can be critical of my own interview skills. And I'm like, you're not getting you're not getting the juice. And I'm like, that's the juice. You talked your way into your first break at a New Year's Eve party. I, 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 I think I, I think I no, I think I fell into standing in front of a tremendously generous, talented, beautiful guy. <laughs> yes. And that, and then he me- walked in, and then he, you know, that, and then he walked in. So it changes <laughs> women's lives. In this case, it changed my life. 
I wonder if you, do you try to do that now? I mean, you're the man in the I, I, I haunt New Year's Eve parties like crazy. No, I don't. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I don't try, I don't try and score for a partner at a party. Well, <laughs> well, maybe. Because Alan and I became partners. At, 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 oh, is that right? Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I did those shows. I did freelance writings for an amount of time. And then Gene Reynolds. It's just, you know, you are so lucky in the people you meet at the beginning because they can either fill you with fear and bitterness or they can fill your sails. And, right. um, and, you know, so Gene Reynolds was a, was a director. Great. He, he was the, the director of MASH, which is one of the great television shows ever. And he was, and he's t- terrific. And he, he was looking for somebody to write a pilot for him. And I had written one of the scripts I had written, he read and he called me in and, um, and he, he's the one who, who kept, it was, a, it, it was to be about a black school teacher. This was, this one, this is where we were only a half season into the first black person starring on a television series. Mm-hmm. Um, Diane Carroll at the time. And she was and Julia and that was, she's, and there'd been no, I think I don't know where I Spy was in the mix of this or something like that, but which was Bill Cosby's first, but but it hadn't happened, and um, and he told me to write a, a script about a black school teacher, and he insisted that I do research at a high school. He insisted that I be based on something, so I kept on, and I'd I'd come back with stuff. He'd say, "Go back to the school." I mean, really. So it was it it has it has later become something I love to do and something that's important for me to do. And, but I'll, I'll never, there have been very few times I did it as rigorously as I did it for that first pilot. Hmm. And, um, and this was in 69 and, um, and they, they just let you in the school. You said, I'm a, I'm a, there was a teacher and there was a great, I met a great (laughs) teacher there. I met a woman who became the model for the male teacher and we did a show and and there were four, four characters in it. And, and two of them were black, which had never happened before, and um, and and the sh- and the show ran for four and a half years, and it was called Room Two Twenty Two, and it was my baptism, uh, as as you know, and I, I I didn't stay with it strangely. I brought Alan in, who who uh, was one of the producers of of I think the first season, and it's funny that I didn't. It's fu- I I. I I don't know what motivated me to, you know, I, I, I pitched, I came in and I, I did some pitches with writers and stuff for stories, but I didn't, I didn't latch onto it. Like, like, like seems to have been what I, I don't know why. And, uh, and, and Alan, be, Alan became, you know, the producer of that. And then Grant Tinker, who is one of the greatest men ever, any writer who worked for Grant Tinker talks about him like a god, you know. I mean, he was just—he was just everything. He later became chairman of NBC. He was just—he—he he was the—he was one of the few. That maybe on one hand, very successful producers of television who supported writers against the network. I mean, mm. just. Just what two or three people like this ever? Maybe, maybe two. Wow. You know, um, 
And, uh, and he put Alan and I together as a team to create a show for his wife, Mary Tyler Moore. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, and he was the vice president of television at Fox at the time. So he couldn't have his hands on the show because of his contract. So we walked into offices and a series commitment, you know, which was offices and a series commitment. And we hired the accountants. We knew not, we were young guys. We played, we played foosball. Most of the day we played foosball and, <laughs> and we hired like, and everybody came to us because there was nobody else except these empty offices and us in one of them and our, and our, uh, and somebody who came a great friend to each of us, uh, who was uh, what we called a secretary at the time. Wow. And did that rub off on you as a producer later in life? Do you like to be a guy oh. who will go with the writers over the producer, over the network? Always. I mean, but you know, it's, it's yes. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I, I take it. Cause that's guy say that I, I, I was, I was basically brought up that way. The story mm. I'm telling is how I was brought up and he, and, and, and there's a, there's a way of being spoiled in the right way. And Grant Tinker spoiled and, you know, MTM became a great production company that Grant did. And, and, and all the writers adored him, just adored him. I mean, he, he came to every screening of the, every filming of the Mary Tom Moore show, which was in front of an audience. And we did other shows there and it was a jewel. It was perfect. It was a, it was a jewel box and it came, became super successful. Yeah. And, uh, and then, oh, oh, oh God, I, I, I have to go through the whole thing, but then, but then. <laughs> you certainly don't have to, I, I can interrupt. Okay. With, uh, great. Dick jokes or great. no, I would, I want to hear. And that's when I decided to pull out and live in Minnesota and here you find me. Yeah. <laughs> You're I, talking I, about... I miss, I miss Hollywood every once in a while, but I'm telling you, <laughs> you know, in the winters, we have tough winters here. I want to slow the story down actually, because when I think of my first show business thing, it was doing a talk show after Conan called the Pete Holmes show. Uh, I'm not surprised if you haven't heard of it, nobody was watching us. It was different from Mary Tyler Moore. You guys were in the jewel box, as you say, but it, it seemed like you were governing yourselves. And when I look back on the simplicity of my first, like we're in it, we have resources, we can create, I'm very fond of that. I, I wonder if the the feeling that you have for that time in your life is is very fond. Um, yeah, but uh, you know, and this time in my life, yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, I think that fondness goes. You're working with people who you respect and like. You're doing what you all love to do. I mean, you know, it's it's. I mean, that doesn't get stale. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's good to hear. I'm glad to hear that. Yes. <laughs> That you can keep renewing it. So, so keep going, please. People want to know you're you're at one of the greatest. Well, you're most- serving. You're serving. You're always serving a boss that's somewhere within yourself. You know, yeah. it's not like you get used to it. There's a task, and there's you know, and mm. you know, I've, I've had you know, when when you have failure, you're devastated, and you have to recover from it. When you have success, there's a way to you go into the next one with more confidence, and it's and it's easier, and and you know. And there are no detours. And, you know, I've certainly experienced both. Well, to jump around in time a little bit, I was very interested in terms of endearment. You get three Oscars. And then I'm like, what is it like trying to the next thing? I mean, it it seems like the opposite of just answering to the boss inside of yourself. Suddenly there's all these eyes on you. You know, it was great. Um, 
You know, I always used to have, uh, I had this friend who was very wise in the ways of Hollywood movies and really funny and wise and everything. And, and, and I had friends with Jim and I said, so how many, how many passes do I get? Do I get to do two more movies? Do you get, what do you get the next one? What do I get now that I can, I, do I get my next job? Do I get two jobs out of it? You know, we used to always have these discussions and, um, and I knew I could do what I want in, in there. I left Paramount and went to uh, Fox. Uh, Barry Diller had been at Paramount and I, when I had worked there and now he was at Fox and they were building a new network, but that's, but I went there and, um, and, it, it, and instead of being, you know, there's a, I, this is pretty good, actually. There was a, did you ever see Author, the yep. movie Author? Yeah. movie Author was written by a television wunderkinder who was about, you know, 32 years old. And he did the movie, wrote and directed it. And the New York Times called him our new Noel Coward. That's the review he got for Author. Our new, and it was a sensational movie. And, and everything like that. And um, and a friend of his told this story at his funeral. He died very young. Told this story at his funeral. And he was a good friend of mine, uh, Steve Gordon. And um, and his friend came, you know, a few months after Arthur came out. And he was very depressed. And he said, why are you depressed? And he said, and, and he said your, your, your movie is loved by everybody. He says, I know. He says, Go into any, you can go into any screening and you hear them screaming. He says, I know There's, you can do, they, they called you the, they called you the, 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 the Noel coward. And he says, no, he says, so what's wrong? He says, I forgot how I did it. And Oh uh, my God. I forgot yeah. how I did it. Yeah. What a nightmare. Yeah. Did you, did you relate to that at all after the first no. movie? Like I forgot. Strangely, how I did it. one of the few stories I'll ever tell which are an example of my having healthy thought. <laughs> you know? I mean, this is, um, I, I, I look back at it now. How, what the hell right did I have to, to think healthy? And, uh, and to not to get all tormented over, you know, that the picture had done well and everything. Um, I, I just, I knew it was a perfect time for me to take it easy and find my next thing. Take it easy and see what happened. And, and, and I gave that to myself, which is remarkable to me. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, it's atypical. Mm. Atypical now, I guess not so atypical then. And, um, <laughs> and I just existed. And a friend of mine was... Uh, <laughs> Jim, that is a mouthful. I just <laughs> existed. Like you, you weren't playing out too many futures. You weren't harping on the past. You had... A mitzvah, something good happened, and you knew you could. You do learned anything. to work in this interview. Yes, <laughs> that's right. That's right. And you were like, I can. I, instead of being paralyzed by that fear, again for the second time in this t- conversation, you're going up to the person in the tuxedo, and you're not afraid. <laughs> <laughs> you're okay, and you knew you could go in any direction. And what I, a direction! I, I gave it. To, I, I just said, and a, and a friend. And what year was this? The Democratic Convention was taking place in um, in San Francisco, and um, and I ju- and my friend was uh, at the time the editor of the Wall Street Journal, and he was a Bundekinder, and um, and he said, "Come on, come on, I can get you passage. You can go on the floor and stuff like that." And and I and I I went to San Francisco, and I I 
And I started to vaguely think about doing something with television news, vaguely, because I was around it, you know, and I, and um, I started to do on the spot research, hearkening back to, you know, and I, and I remember yeah, back Diane, to you in the high school. Yeah. And Diane Sawyer was, you know, just, and, and, and she wanted, you know, she's, she's so elegant and she, and, and she, and she sees this guy wanting to ask a million questions and and she was very elegantly said you know who you should talk to I mean, <laughs> and, it, and it was and it was a, a, a susan zarinsky who's the by the way the current president of cbs news hmm. and um and she was just legendary as the hardest worker the producer you know and um and she met me at a park that I think of every time in San Francisco. And, um, and she said at the, uh, I'll tell you everything you want to know at the end of this, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you a secret. So I talked to her about 45 minutes, asking her a lot of questions. And then she said, okay, I got married today. <laughs> it was, her, was, it was her wedding day. She had married Joe Perrinan, who was the bureau chief of Washington for CBS news. She took me down to meet him and she, um, and she became one of about three women who was the model for the main character in, uh, in broadcast news. Wow. And, um, and, and I, and I got so much from her and she ended up as associate producer on the movie, just so all the details were right. Wow. So I just, I, and, you know, I just was there. And Wes Anderson once told me that, uh, you know, off, off, I think his second picture, uh, off one of his pictures, just before the India picture, um, he just, he, he was holed up and he was not doing anything. And he said, I'm just going to say yes to everything for a year. And one of those yeses was, uh, we're going to India. You want to come? Yes. Wow. And yeah. that got us the Darjeeling limited, yes. which I think yes. is an incredible movie. I yeah. think this sort of takes us, I think this is so wonderful. You, when I read about your style as a director and a producer, it reminds me of of Judd a little bit, Judd Apatow, in that like you're finding it, you're letting things breathe, you improvise, you play. No, 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 will... no, 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 no. Well, you can correct me. <laughs> please, please do correct me. No, no. I, I've I've read that you. Judd do... Apatow ha- actually has fun doing it. <laughs> he is always in the act of having fun, and a movie happens. Oh my God, that is hilarious. Well, I'm I'm curious. I read that you do a lot of takes. That you're looking for different approaches. It's it's it reminds me of um, Kubrick too. It's it's these guys that will write a great script, and this is what I was going to compliment you on. You'll do the research, but then on the day, it seems to me like you're not shooting like maybe Wes Anderson. You're not doing like a perfect locked off shot where the dialogue is exactly as it was on the storyboard, or maybe the Coen brothers are like that. You're doing sometimes 25 takes of a shot. Just take it easy. You're going to wipe me up in this town. Well, you don't. <laughs> I don't. I believe no. in three takes. I believe in three takes. I believe in three takes. And I always keep in my mind how much each take costs. Really? For now. <laughs> this is this interview. Well, I didn't think it was a bad thing to be a guy. Well, that's because you don't give people money to make movies. (laughs) (laughs) So you don't, you don't want to let the cat out of the bag. (laughs) 
Well, I'll tell you. What cat? You, what cat? I have no idea what you are saying. Oh, I forgot to say proverbial. You got to cue people in that you don't actually mean a cat with the word proverbial. Uh, I, what reminds me of Judd is that he would do, let's do one where you're a little bit no, more he does aggressive. That. I, I, very few lines change in when I, when I do it. I mean, you, I, I always think that one of the things about be, being a writer or director, you get to be... You get your script. You get the script. You, there is a movie you saw in your mind, and you start each day with getting that. The great days is when you depart from it, and it doesn't have to be with a big change in dialogue. It could be in the. It's acting has a lot to do with it, and it has. Mm. <clears throat> you can change the, the nature of a scene. I mean, I, I there was, um, there was a scene in as good as it gets, that uh, had a very. He had been. He had. He had been beaten. Uh, the, 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 the character had been beaten bloody yeah. by some people hear. who robbed his apartment, yeah. and he was in the hospital. And it was meant to be a dramatic scene. And I went in that day, and it became a comedy scene. And we didn't change a lot, you know. Mm. And it became really a funny scene, I think, because he looked hideous, and we had people react as they would in life if they were really being honest. <laughs> right, know? right, right. And and, uh, and it felt and he- great. And, and, and yearly, almost can't help but being funny in that scene. There's it's, something. There's something that can happen with an actor. There's there's something that that you know. There's there's so many examples of it. The, the, you know, the, 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 the impact, the importance of staging. What staging can do for you if it's right, if you if if you get it right. Um, and if you have an idea, you, you, you know, yes, if you have an idea, and yes, a few lines change, but really not that many. Um, hmm. You know, and but the ones that change can be, you know, the, the ones that do change can be great. You know, everybody goes to work every day in a movie with a, with a, with the the actors are are in the car going there, the directors in the car going there. Everybody has a scene in mind. To me, the great day is when all of them are wrong. And another scene happened. You know what I mean? And you don't change lines for that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. The first time we met, you told me the story, because I love As Good As It Gets. I've seen it probably over 50 times. And um, it's just it's just one of those movies. I owned it on VHS. I bought it on DVD. Then I downloaded mm-hmm. it on iTunes. So I, it's always carried with me. And we watch it. It's weird to say this, but we watch it for pleasure. We don't watch it to like study it. We watch it because we enjoy it. And I was telling you about noodle salad. And you you told me <laughs> that Jack Nicholson, because I was like, isn't it pasta salad? It's pasta salad. And noodle salad seems like a funny way to say pasta salad. And you does this ring a bell? Oh, my God. It rings a gong. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell the people the gong. I don't want to tell your story. <laughs> uh, noodle salad was 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 to me um you know what like it was like an elegant kind of noodle salad noodle salad it's like noodle <laughs> so you were pro noodle salad and now and, and, and but it was always and 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 to me an example of of the way people who have perfect lives have picnics and noodle salad is at the picnics. Common folk eat pasta salad. The folks, the folks who live on the, I never heard pasta. I, you know, I knew noodle salad. So, <laughs> so 
So on the set, Jack Nicholson says, um, it's not, it's pasta salad, isn't it? It's pasta salad. So I said, no, no. So then he, then he, uh, then he starts asking the crew, the crew has a choice to agree with him or me. So, <laughs> so now if there's an, like, like a, a 50 echoes, oh, pasta salad, pasta salad, pasta salad, guy, guy up in the wing, pasta salad, pasta salad, pasta salad. And, yeah. and not being the toughest guy in the world, I, I, I succumbed. I went home and I felt nuts because noodle salad <laughs> represented to me everything I wanted to say in that scene. And I went in the next day and I said, "We got." and it's a huge thing in a movie. I mean, it's, to go back and do a scene. And, you know, even though it was in a car and stuff, it's, you know, it was, it was not a full day or anything, but it was something the way you're doing something with the schedule. Yeah. And I said, I'm making this movie to say noodle salad. Oh and, my um, God. and, and, and by the way, I, I, I don't think it's a story about being quirky or, or extreme or anything. I, I believe that's what it represents. It, it certainly represents it to me. And it certainly worked in the scene. I think, I, I think nobody, I don't think anybody in the audience ever said he means pasta salad ever, you know? Oh, it just, it don't it tell me you're the out. first one to say, <laughs> no, no. It jumped out to me that I was like, it felt telling of, of Jack's character and that it felt funnier. Noodle salad is funnier as nude as it gets. That's, that's what I consider the movie and OOD of course. But um, I thought it was so funny. And in a moment where you have to, when you're working with somebody as cool as Jack Nicholson, I can't, even if you're the director, it's supposed to be your show. I can't imagine going toe to toe with Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, you know, it, it's it's unthinkable to me. Never mind doing a reshoot. What did he say when you said we're going to do a reshoot so you can say noodle salad? And follow up question in the edit: Did you ever consider using pasta salad? Did you have a moment of doubt? <laughs> you, you, apparently, you weren't listening to the story I just told. <laughs> I'm saying I felt very noodle salad. You think that things. story ends with, oh, Jack was right. You think that's the way that story ends? Well, clearly not, because it's in the movie is noodle salad. <laughs> but, Jim, I've had noodle salad, saddle moment, salad moments so deep. And then later I'm like, maybe it is pasta salad. But then you still well, I know what you're salad. saying. I know what, you, I know what you're saying. Uh, I know what you're saying. Uh, yeah, it, it was... <laughs> By the way, it was a it was a it was a very important conversation about life as seen by these characters. I mean, it wasn't yes. it wasn't a frivolous thing. It, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't the, the it, it was the it was the character's whole set of thought that that that. But it wasn't it wasn't meant to be. To, you know, I wasn't saying that's the lab. That's noodle salad is a lab. I'm saying noodle salad <laughs> is the You know, just sums up this character's philosophy of that, folks. Who have, you know, because it ends with that's the kind of lives, not not anybody in this car has that life. You yeah, know, that's, some people have nice lives with noodle salad. Just nobody <laughs> yes. in this car. It feels very East Egg to me. It's like Great Gatsby. It's like the people over in East Egg. They have noodle very much, salad. Very much. Yeah. Not us. None of us. Yeah. And and that's you've always been drawn to the. It seems those characters that that have, you know, they're sort of stuck with what they got. And what I think is so interesting about Melvin, Melvin Udall, is that he is relatable because he reminds me of, of the human mind. If it's not, if there's no polity, 
shrouding it. You know what I mean? He, he's just saying all of his ugliness. He's saying all of his humanity, not much of his vulnerability, but like, I wondered if you, what it was like for you creating that character. Well, um, it was, it was based on a, a on a script by, by, by a very good writer script. And I think we were, we were, and it was, and it was not so much a comedy, but it was, but it was a story that had a Melvin U. Dole character. And I, I always thought that we were writing partners, though we never sat in a room together because I, I, I spent, he spent time writing it and I spent like a year doing what, doing what I did. And, um, and it was to make is and, and to, to give Melvin a clinical problem rather than just a personality problem, to oh. make it clinical, and to um, and to and and you know it and to make it um, a comedy. I mean, a pure comedy that existed to be a comedy, where you have to clock so many laughs or else you're not doing it. So you said, take me into the process. If you were like, I want to make this something that he has OCD. And and he seems by modern standards to have a little bit of Asperger's too, you know, like he's on the spectrum in that way that he's missing cues. Maybe it might not be traditional Asperger's, but he definitely has some social um, difficulties and yet he's a genius, which is, you know, he's clearly a great writer and, and no, no, not a great, no, no, not a great writer. Uh, 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 no, no, no. He was a very popular writer. Oh. Very. He, he, he wrote these romance novels that, that all soul. No, no. He, you oh, hear the, in the opening shot, you hear him writing, not great, <laughs> finishing <laughs> a book. And you know, it's not great. There's nothing, nobody will call, will call that, but you'd say, yeah, somebody might buy that. I'm so yeah. sorry. I must've been fooled by the music and by the fact that it's Jack Nicholson. And I'm like, well, he must be good because when he's going, love was, love was, and I'm like, <laughs> he really is gonna, he's gonna write it. But it was like a corny finish to that line. I forgot what it was, but it was just, it was not yeah. brilliant or anything. It was like, no, you're right. I think, you know, I watched this as a young man. So the discernment that you have to have between a popular writer and a good writer, I didn't have that. I was just like, he is, he lives in an apartment in New York that has a piano. He's stopped by assistants in his publisher's office who touch her heart and her head. I'm like, this <laughs> but that guy. was his audience. That's people who read those cult novels. That was his. I think that is so funny. I, <laughs> this whole time, I, I had it wrong. Would you tell me a little bit, there's so many great lines as we're talking about this, what it's like for you when you're at the typewriter, when you're doing what you do. Uh, we were beginning to talk about why you made it a condition. Was that to give him more pathos? Was it to make him more likable, to make him more funny? Well, I, I, I don't know. It, it, I, I don't have a... It seems... It seemed absolutely necessary to me. I don't know why. And so let's talk about that. Let's talk about your instincts. You, when you're writing, how do you do it? How do you get into the zone where you can trust your instincts? It's, it's, a, that's a complicated question. Because you have days where you don't, of course. And, and, um, uh, you know, all the cliches are true. You know, there does kind of, there does come a time when it's like somebody's dictating to you. That, that, that cliche is true, but there, but more often than not, 
to me, it's to, to I guess to me what I look for is is to be able to represent the characters as they're taking shape. I mean, I, I um, and sometimes they're very elusive. Um, you know, every every once in a while, I have you know, I don't always have a fixed idea. You know, I, I with broadcast news, I was there was there was so many carbon copy feminist movies going out that I that I really thought that the job required to spot a new woman on the horizon, you know, the, the daughter of the, the women that they were making monies about, you know, all these movies about, you know, all the, you know, not the heroine, not the, you know, where um, the traditional heroine and, the, you know, who overcame adversity and because, you know, and, and overcame, you know, you know, what I'm saying, uh, do you know what I'm saying? I do. And it's funny because I'm picturing Mary Tyler Moore throwing her hat in the air. She wasn't a one dimensional character by any means. I always thought of, I always thought of when we filmed that moment and, and no, and Mary Tyler Moore had been out of the business before she started for a while before that show. And in, and and in dailies, what you saw is that hat fall to the, fall to the gutter and her scrambling in traffic to retrieve it. So I always have that in my mind. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but the freeze frame saves a lot of that, doesn't it? Yes, yes. We, we all need freeze frames in our lives. It might have even been Mary Tyler Moore that was getting you the, these cookie cutter feminist uh, projects, maybe that weren't scratching the itch. And no. then he, is it? Oh, sorry. Well, Mary Tyler, Mary Tyler Moore was a great was a, was wonderful because the female revolution was happening as we did the show and we got stories out of it all the time. It was just right. It was. But we weren't serving it. We were just benefiting from it you know it was and you know and we were just it was like perfect surfing you know the yeah i just wonder what was happening when it became very popular the time that you're talking about broadcast news it was very popular to do maybe a little bit it was it was more standard it was more in vogue we're going to make these movies and you were like i want to make the daughter of these people i want to make holly hunter's character who to me? I thought there was a new heroine. I think I, th- I think there's yeah. a new heroine right now. For, uh, somewhere out there, there's a new heroine. There's a new heroine right now. It happens with some frequency. Yeah, you know, we are mutating at a at a pretty good clip here. Right, and you wanted to rediscover that. To me, well, no, I wanted to represent. I want you know the, the research came. I said she was a combination of of some women who were you know who did have the job. I mean, I. I love doing the research on, on broadcast news. I, I, I mean, I'm a news junkie today. I was a news mm. junkie then. I just, I just, and I, and I, and I was in, I was in newsrooms where, where the layoffs happened. And I was talking where, where people's hearts were breaking because the business was so fundamentally changing at that time. Mm. So it was, it was like the Mary Tyler Moore show in that it was happening as I did it. And then when I think of Holly Hunter's character in that movie, and I'm thinking of your interview in the park where at the end she reveals that she was married, (laughs) she just got married, the moment where she unplugs the phone and cries, I'm sure you've answered a million questions about this, but it's these, as a writer myself, I'm always looking for those moments where we can add some richness, something real, something interesting, and something vulnerable to a character. Was that you trusting your instincts was that just no that was the third yeah the, the rule if you get to do a lot of research you know i had a rule the third time you hear something it's generally true and there were three times i heard women talking about crying in the you know during a work day 
Oh, interesting. Or after a work day or something like that. And in Holly Hunter's case, like getting ready for a work so day. So I figured my heroine, she'd schedule yeah. it, you know? <laughs> I mean, this leads to the question that I was not planning on asking you, but how do you write women so well? That's what they ask Melvin. Yes. And he has a pretty sardonic or, or at least funny answer. He he has an answer where every once in a while a man comes up to me and whispers to me that was so yeah. <laughs> I'm afraid to say it out loud. I'm afraid to say it out loud now. <laughs> well, for those that haven't watched it as many times as I have, he says, "I think of a man and I take away reason and accountability." And uh, it's it's a very funny line. I'm sure my father uh, died. I I also thought it was funny, even though I was too young to even know what was so sort of jarring about it. I was just like interesting. Um, what you do write beautiful female characters. Do you, how do you get in touch with that through the research, through the conversations? Do you, you know, I, 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 I was raised by uh, a mother and an older sister and, um, and my mother had two sisters and I grew up, you know, that that was there, there was uh, my father was one of those fathers and, and, and an alcoholic and, um, you know, and I grew up, this was, this was the music. I, I just want to relate to you there. I feel like um, it's Joseph in the Old Testament. Uh, I was raised by women, you know what I mean? Or it's, it's uh, Jacob, excuse me. So there's Esau, he's off with the dad and Jacob. Do you remember the twin boys? This is, this is really going back 2000 years or more. I'm sorry, more <laughs> like 5,000 years. Um, but I really relate to that. And I really appreciated, I'm not saying all women, but I appreciated my mother was more in touch with her emotions and talked about them and liked talking about them. So I'm going to put this to you. When I would go to a ball game with my dad, I couldn't believe that we didn't talk the whole time. Like to him, of course, the point was to face the game, you know, to drink a beer and to, and to get lost in the sport. And to me, I was like, shouldn't we be talking about like, what we thought um, our seats would be and, and how hungry we are or whatever it might be. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 my mother, uh, it, it was more, it was different than that. Uh, I was around women who had very painful lives a lot. I mean, my mother, most in particular, who um, went cold so we could be warm, who went hungry so we could eat. I mean, she was just, and worked all the time. And, um, and, and actually took me to a ball game, you know, took, took, took me to a couple of ball games. And, uh, mm. and um, so I think that's, that's what I was around. I, I mean, my mother was, um, you know, I, it gets uh, rigorously unfunny if I, <laughs> if I keep talking about it. That's, I, I believe that's one of the poll quotes on the poster for this show, rigorously unfunny. <laughs> <laughs> various sources it doesn't it's not even one person it's various sources but it is interesting to me because i'm trying to It'll make you to feel it. guilty about your indifference <laughs> yes let's let's do it let's feel guilt i want to feel something other than uh no but it's but i think i think that was it and and uh yeah it, it was um yeah what 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 was it what was she going through that you don't that you're trying to spare our listeners. No, it was just it was just the travails of of, of trying to um, to raise children alone and to for a while with a with a uh, an alcoholic husband and uh, and then without you know who 
you know, it, it, I, I, I don't want to, I save my sob stories for first dates. <laughs> oh my God. I'm wondering though, you did get this spark, right? You got this creative spark and you're an incredibly likable, creative, flowing person that goes up, sorry to keep mentioning it, but that goes up to people in tuxedos at New Year's Eve's parties and changes his life. Did your mother, it's a leading question and I only ask leading questions. Did your mother give you a lot of love? It sounds like your father was the withholding. There was, there was, um, there wasn't time for that. She, Mm -hmm. she worked six days and two nights a week. Um, There wasn't, there wasn't time for that. I was alone a lot. I was always referred to early latchkey, you know, and, um, I'd, I'd be a very young kid and I'd let myself in and I, you know. Mm-hmm. And that time alone. But she, 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 uh, no, there was a lot of, it was, it was not, it was not a, yeah. It wasn't modern parenting. It, it was surviving, you know, I mean, yeah. parenting is a luxury, you know. Mm. Mm. Oh, what should I say to the? <laughs> this happened yeah. at school today. How should we treat it? That's a. <laughs> I mean, what what year is this when you're when you're coming home to the apartment alone? It, it, I, I can't. I picture it in black and white. I mean, I, I can't even get a touchstone for what we're talking about. Ah, uh, fifties. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just wondering how that did that get you to be a more performative person? Is this where your sense of humor started was... to blossom? <laughs> I was I, I I if people had liked me I would have been voted class clown because I did get laughs in the class but nobody <laughs> liked me for it for some reason I didn't get <laughs> <laughs> why you like I, Albert Brooks's character I, I think I think maybe it I, I it just it just I I I I did act out I I did get my laughs. I I was uh, I was not popular. The other kid, I'm thinking of Albert Brooks in the beginning of Broadcast News getting bullied, and and he's funnier and smarter. Is that a little bit of your life? Is that a feeling? I said I wasn't smart. I wasn't doing that well in school either. It, it was, uh, but I, I and I was work. I always worked. I always worked. Hmm. Hmm. I I can't. It's hard for me to imagine. I suppose, but the damage that that did being unliked. For me, I didn't feel popular. I didn't feel liked in. That was a tremendous school. change. You know, you know what's amazing, and I, I started to see it, it happened on The Simpsons. For a while, in comedy, everybody came from some kind of really rough childhood. Hmm. You know, college very unusual. I remember. I remember. I remember when we there was one rewrite night in the Mary Tyler Moore show. I said, how many people in here finished college? And Alan was the only one with his hand in the air, you know, I mean, now with the, with the Simpsons, I looked around and, and I was the only hand in the air who hadn't graduated from Harvard. That was, a, <laughs> that was a big revolution. That was a big revolution, you know? Yeah. With, yeah. You know, comedy became like a legitimate. It was thing. all we, it was all us guys had gone for us. <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> Right. But how does that feel now? I mean, you're part of an institution that attracts, hey, Egghead, sing Our Fair Harvard. I mean, like you have all the Harvard boys. That's from the Etchy and Scratchy executive, by the way. 
Um, and, and there you are representing just a completely different approach. It's all we had. It's what you guys had going. It wasn't, I'm going to do this and then maybe I'll create 30 rock. It, it was like, and, you were doing and I always you assumed for, I, I think for about 12 years, I assumed that Matt Groening and I had the same kind of background. You know, mm. I just, it was my assumption, you know, just my assumption. And we were in the middle of the Harvard guys. And then one day at a bar, found out that he was class president on the football team and and, and i it was oh. it was heartbreaking for me it was hard <laughs> jim i think i'm having that moment right now are you kidding me <laughs> oh my god the creator of the simpsons was or, 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 or with you obviously he, was, he is now outed yes Wow, the captain of the football team. That is wild. Not captain of the football team, class president and on the football team. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I blended the two. I made it one thing for brevity. Wow. So you've always felt sort of like a misfit and a little bit, and I say this with love and I can relate to it, like like one of the broken toys. You know what I mean? It's like, of course, I'm on the island of broken toys. That's where we are. And then in come the Ivy Leaguers. No, I've never they... thought of myself as a broken toy until this moment. And it fits so exactly that I, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm so enjoying this. And one of the things I love about you is that you have no problem telling me like, no, it wasn't that. It was this. And and like, I wonder if it's generational. I'm so used to people my age. We, we, we sort of like tiptoe around everything. And we go, yeah, in, in some ways I am a Native American descent, but in a much more literal way, I'm Lithuanian. <laughs> you know, like we, we don't do it. And, and it's just a pleasure. And I think that probably speaks to your ability as a director and as a creator. You don't seem to have a problem saying, this is, this is what it is, this is what it's about, and this is what I'm looking for. I mean, it, it seems like you hear your own inner Oh, no, no. I, th I, I, I think of it very differently. Um, See? <laughs> you, you, you couldn't have me more wrong. And, I, and I've been talking my heart out for how long is it now? And yet, and yet you have a total misconception. <laughs> Tell me, are you serious? I am. I am actually serious. <laughs> you, you, you do feel like the guy that. I, I, there's a thing. The thing. It's not like that. First of all, I really believe a good idea can come from any place, and and always does. Always does. I I always believe that. I um I, I love working with actors. I mean, I just trust it like a relationship. I mean, I trust it. And, um, and, 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 you know, what, and I, and I always think, I always think there's a contract with the actors so that when you say, move on, you're telling them, we've got the scene, you were good. You know, I'm looking out for this, you were good. And, 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 and sometimes that means quite a few takes. To, you know, there was, or else you're saying, and that's what that's and and the one thing I think I can do is make everybody on the set there for the actors. That that's the reason we're all there, and that that's my mindset. You know, and it's and also happens to be the reason we're all there. Right. <laughs> always, right. I think, always, except for a certain kind of picture where you're there for, you know. A cash friend, an action picture, an action picture. It's like you're, you're, you know, but the action picture will have moments when you're there for that. But, but sure. You know. I wonder, is that why I have to think that that 
you've worked with Jack Nicholson a lot and you, and he's won best actor twice under your direction. I have to think that if you get the actor that understands that relationship of trust, this guy has me, I can play a little bit more. I can, I can. Also it's, it's so happened, you know, I, here, here's the thing. Here's the thing that's very hard to face. Different actors, different movies. Not the same movie. Person A, B, and C. Three different movies. Mm. Many times I have had where if I didn't get one actor, I couldn't make it. I, I couldn't have made as good, good as it gets with anyone else. I couldn't have made it. I couldn't have started production. I couldn't have done it. Mm. Not, only, not only greatest actor, but, but, but permission. Permission to be that guy out of the, you know, the, mm-hmm. you know, common consent of mankind will go where you take us, Jack. That's a that's a huge thing. <laughs> that is. Um, that's that's interesting. Yeah. And um, and Holly Hunter, and, and until until I had her, it was not going to. It was going to be. It was going to be struggling to get me to mediocre until mm. I had her. And that's mm. the truth. And that's the truth. And it's a frightening truth. Mm. You know, you're sitting there, same script, man. Hmm. Yeah, I think How about can that. You face it. How can you face it when you go down the list and when people talk about actors' windows and stuff like that? How can you face that fact? What is an actor's window? Oh, the availability of an actor who's in demand. He has okay. a window on July fifth to to August fourth, but he has to be out, and that you know, like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is wild. Uh, there's that. I think it's Alfred Hitchcock says you need three things to make a great movie: a good script, a good script, and a good script. And I th- I hear you saying, what if I'm wrong again? That'll be about number 50 for old Petey on this one. But it seems to me you're saying, let's get the actors in the safest, most supported, uh, natural flow state that we can make this because we need them more than anything. It's um, when, uh, when I did, um, I'm tr- trying to think of, when I did broadcast news, um, we were looking for the female lead for six months. And I had already waited six months because I wouldn't do it with anybody else but Bill Hurt because I thought charisma cannot be acted. There's a kind of mm-hmm. thing you have and, and nobody can act it. You have it or you don't. He had it at that, at that moment in time. And, um, and, uh, and, and it meant wait. He took another movie first and it meant my waiting and I had no problem waiting, no problem waiting at all. And now we're now having waited that long though. And for six months of, of you know, and, 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 and I do, um, you know, I really work out when, 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 when we have auditions, I don't think of them as auditions. I get lost in the work. And sometimes it's, it's I think it can be tough on people, but I, I mean, I really just go to work instead of just, uh, can you show us, you know, I, I, I see what the connection is and working together hmm. and, and I, I didn't have it. And we were two weeks away from starting and I didn't have it. And Julia Taylor, who's, you know, was the, the great Woody Allen films and she's one of the great casting directors ever and, and um, wonderful woman. And here she heard me for, this is six months, how many phone calls a day, how many, how many, you know, how many auditions, how, how, um, you know, just six months of this. And, um, and we were going to shoot in two weeks and we had a screen test that was okay with somebody. 
And, um, and, and then instead of like anybody, and this is what, this is, you're so blessed if you get people like this, anybody would get me away from this guy. It's enough already, you know, anybody, it's just the most normal thing. My God, he's going to, is it him again? You know, it's like that. And for some reason, this saint, <laughs> this saint uh, said, tell me again how you see the character. This is after six months. I mean, imagine on the phone, her kid is there, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, um, and, uh, and she says, there's a girl, I'll see if she's in town. And it was Holly Hunter. And it was immediate and it worked immediately. And, and it was two weeks before we were shooting. And it was, but, but, but that's, you know, that's a kind of, I'm, I'm humbled by what she did for me. What, what, Juliet did for me and I'm humbled by the kind of person who does that you know it's just because you know the, the thing is especially when you're directing you're you're the craziest person in the room you know it is legal insanity you, you know all you know right and wrong is distorted you leave the real world you don't know what's you know it's all that stuff and, and man team sport wow and Holly was your noodle salad you needed it and you got it two weeks before after all of that back and forth i love that i love that they didn't give up and look at what it got you guys i mean that's incredible that's really interesting when i when i watched broadcast news i was like oh william hurt i'm like john ham must love william hurt because what he's doing on mad men i don't know if you watch mad men felt similar to to that character, I was like, I I I think it's a compliment to John Hamm because I was like, I haven't seen it like that since broadcast news. Just somebody that just is like, yeah, you get it, you get it, and 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 you and you're sort of feeling for them and rooting for them the whole time. That's really really cool. Um, do you prefer writing or directing? I mean, is that a is that a dumb question, or do you like it on its feet more, or do you like it in your head more? I I have enormous respect for writing. I respect it more than anything. I mean, I just, yeah, I just, I feel like I'm a writer. I feel, you know, and I, and I, and when you begin to direct as a writer director, I think, I think the batting average for writer directors is pretty good because like that thing where when you're writing, you're seeing a movie. Mm. Mm-hmm. So do you enjoy it? Do you enjoy seeing the movie as you're typing it? You know, um, the one I'm working on now has been so tough and such a and such a journey, and I'm and it's um, that I'm I'm sort of fascinated by the journey, fascinated that that it and I have been together this long. Mm. <laughs> you know that that um, that. What started out as my child has become this grown person who's who's waiting for me uh, in the office every day. Um, uh, but I, but you know, I, I, I think there comes a point. Uh, certainly, certainly comes a point. This comes a point in making a movie where the where the where the movie is saying, "Hey, over here." Because there are more people involved now, and the movie itself is saying, "Hey, over here," which is uh, which can be very helpful. 
So it starts taking on a life of its own. So that takes yeah. some of the responsibility. Yeah. So you have you. something to serve. So it's, instead of this thing locked in you, oh, you're trying to catch up instead of, oh, get it out of yourself. And is that more of the feeling of the director? Like once, yes. once you can notice. Where well, and, and you know, work. you know, you know, they're a tough day. You know, they're, t- you know, it's. You're supposed to be insane when you direct, I think, unless you're Steven Spielberg. <laughs> Legal insanity. I, I really do think so. I, I really because because he, he he can he can finish directing brilliantly for a day and does the marketing and you see there there is Steven Spielberg in the market. That's how I once saw him in the market while he was shooting a movie. Wow! <laughs> Shopping. Wow! Wow! And, and so I so this is no imagining on my part. Um, uh, you're not going to the market when you're shooting a movie. You're, you're... It's, 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 you know, it's, it takes, every, it takes everything. It takes everything. And then some, and, and, and then your, your, your crazy thoughts, some are sometimes the reason you should be there for that. You know, I don't have the kiss. I don't have the kiss. The kiss is bad. The kiss is bad. You know, what do I do? You know? Yeah. The kiss is fine. The kiss is fine. No, the <laughs> Are you talking about as good as it gets? Because when I watch that movie now, I'm like, this is the most, as Aaron Sorkin said, he was like, you can have a great first two hours of the movie, but if you hit a home run, you still have to round the bases. And to me, Oh, that's a kiss, great expression. Yeah. Isn't that great? The kiss. I don't uh, think with, I, Oh, go ahead. I was just thinking, I was just thinking. I don't, I don't know that I've ever rounded the bases. I, you know, maybe that like awaits me. You've rounded the bases. Of I don't course. know. No, you know you've rounded the bases because you're running and <laughs> it feels good. And, and <laughs> to me, if you can stick a movie on a moment like I just want a normal boyfriend, and so and the the mom character saying it doesn't exist. If you can have a great line that late in the movie, if you can have a great line like I know I can do better than that that late in the movie, because every time I watch As Good as It Gets. I forget there's a second kiss. I think it's the first kiss. And I'm like, oh, God, this movie just shit the bed. It, it, it kills itself at the end. Like, it, it, can't, it can't end like this. And then to have the character basically say, it can't end like this, that's got to be rounding the bases. That's rounding I mean, the bases. I, I remember it started because it was very, because it would have been garbage if that movie ended like they fell in love and lived out. You know, it, that would, you, know you knew you yeah. couldn't do that. Yeah, but I remember, I remember, uh, like four o'clock in the morning, we were filming. We were filming it, you know, it was very late. It was supposed to be, you know, just at dawn, and and I remember we, the scene was going on. They were acting it, and I remember yelling out, "Kiss her, man!" <laughs> and I, and then we then we began to work on that. <laughs> Wait, so the kiss wasn't in the script? Wasn't in the script. See, this is the gym I'm trying to get at. This is the on his feet, figuring it out. It doesn't mean you're sloppy. It doesn't mean you're not an effective and budget uh, conscious filmmaker, but you were figuring out the moment. It's it's the same with broadcast news. I, I heard you finished it and you didn't have the ending necessarily. Like everything was pretty much done. And then you shot the ending. Um, yeah, I went back on that because... I went back and I thought, I thought since since Bill and Holly were very comfortable with improvisation and were really in the scene as actors, that I thought of an alternative ending, because you know the the, the movie is 
bizarre in its ending. And you know, but I, I like the ending personally. But I, I I really agree more with people who don't like it. Um, I can understand. Right? I can understand that it's not. I, I I believe it. I believe it's a truthful ending. I, I you know I I believe that. Yeah. But um. But I thought if if I if I if I could surprise Holly if I could say I'm doing a retake because something went wrong with her in the cab at the end when she yeah. got in and I start filming and then Bill would get in the car and she wouldn't know he was there. I knew something would happen. <laughs> I, knew, I knew some there'd be some viscerally honest thing that would happen and i had read that some frenchman did this with and it worked great and i saw you know and it was like <laughs> <laughs> wonderful <laughs> and 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 just and and you know you have the whole crew you know what that is and and we're at lax and and somebody says one of the somebody on the crew says hi bill just before we're about to roll and i went out of body and I just, I went out of body where they really had a, you know, it's like seconds in the ring when you, when you've had the shit be- beaten out of you and, oh. you know, and, and, and they're saying, well, let us do it, Jim. Come on. We will we'll act it. We'll act it. And I was just, I couldn't, I couldn't, I, all the, <laughs> and Wait, uh, who, who said hi, Bill, a crew member, a crew member said hi, Bill. And, and, and tipped Holly off. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. There's your Frenchman plan out the window. <laughs> no, so it was terrible. It was terrible, and I, and and they would have done something, and it would have been, and it would have been because they're too supremely. They they would have done it. They they would have done it. Something would have happened. Oh my God, are people disappointed? I always wanted Albert Brooks and Holly to be together. That was my Hollywood ending. But then, to use your word, it did feel honest. I was like, that's what life. When you've lived enough life, that's usually what happens. That felt real. Oh yeah, I and by the way, the the whole the whole idea behind that was when is a romantic comedy? You know, when when is a romantic triangle not a romantic triangle? When when you're not playing for a result, we didn't do any scenes so that the audience wants her to end up with A or B. There were wow. no scenes done, and it's and and I don't know if it'll ever happen to me again, but it, it's a wonderful way to shoot. It's a mm. it's a wonderful way to be in the moment and to be truthful to that scene and not trying to trying to build to a satisfactory result. So yeah. here's four unsatisfactory results. Well, you know, it's funny rewatching it. There's there's the moment where um, the guy sabotages the take. He goes fuck 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 fuck, and he goes, "You're going to use that." And Albert Brooks says, "It depends on how slow a news day it is." <laughs> and then he watches Holly Hunter laugh. And it's as close, it was, it was rewatching it for who knows what number of time, but it's, it's, I noticed, oh, that is sort of laying the track for they like each other. There's a very sweet in the eyes. It, it, sort of looks a, at her. As, as long as you're, as long as you're nerdy about the movie, I'll give you, I'll give you this factoid. Here it uh, comes. Uh, I had in the research when journalists are in a war zone, there's a lot of romance. There's something about being at risk physically, which 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 makes people come together. Mm. So we had them under fire at a certain point in the movie, and I had told this to Holly, and 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 I knew that if the character Albert was playing could just look in her eyes, then he'd have her. Mm. She was there, and if you look at it, she's there. 
Because yeah. I had told her this. She is totally there. Yeah. Wow. And that's based on, I'm not surprised, of course. Yeah. Like and, no you'll see, and you'll see her playing it. And you'll see her playing that. Wow. Yeah. I, this is self-indulgent, but I think you might, I hope you enjoy this. There's one moment in broadcast news that every time Val and I watch it, we play it. I'm going to say, this is honest, 15 times we play it back. And it's when Albert Brooks is singing along to Midnight Train to Georgia. And he sings, <laughs> I can read while I sing. I am singing and reading both. And we've watched it so many times. He starts to laugh. I swear, I would bet uh, $1,000. He starts to laugh. And I was like, I have to ask Jim about that moment. Did he say, I'm going to do something? Did he say, just let me try something? Because it felt like it had the electricity of like, this is funny to him. Like everybody's enjoying this. But it's uh, not like... No, it was... Like a, oh, go ahead, please. It was a French song to show... It was always showing that he was brilliant. Everything was always about showing he was brilliant in one way or another. Like it's a French song he's singing at the beginning and he speaks beautiful French and he spoke mm. Spanish in the opening scene. It was just it was just laying in the fact that he was a big brain. So even that moment, was that in the yeah, script? I am singing, yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the, the lines I'm singing both, but the way he played it is, of course, all this. I can't believe it because I'm watching it and it doesn't cut. Like if, if you're seeing something that's improvised, it might be like, you know, its own take and then it cuts to the scene, but then the phone rings and he answers it and we're back in the movie and it goes right up again. It's just, I, I want you to watch it again. It's like one of the, it, it's one of the most joyful. I never pieces. look at a man. I never do. Oh my God, please. I have it on my phone. Just that moment isolated. I want to email it to you so you can watch it. You don't, you don't watch your own stuff when it's done. No, no. Really? Really? I can't believe it. I mean, it, well, I don't sit around watching the stuff I've done either. But yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Is there a mojo to that? Is it you don't want to get too caught in what you've already done and you want to keep moving it's, forward? It's, 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 no, it's, it's, you know, sometimes the, the little comes on television, I'll watch for 10 minutes or something like that if I see something on television. Yeah. But no, I. I'm going to rig it so that moment is on in the hotel next time you're on the road so you can see that moment. I love that. Can you can we go back a little bit? So in the moment with Jack Nicholson and Helen Hunt, and to me, I'm just fascinated with these things that are decided on the fly that to me, I'm like, that made the movie. It had to end with them sharing an awkward and then a, a passionate kiss. Because to me, the, the fun of as good as it gets as you go, are they still together? Like, where does this go? Like, are they going to are they going to be together? Is it going to work? Is it going to happen? Like, I don't, what do we want to happen? And you're yelling out kiss. So in that moment, Jack and Helen didn't know they were going to kiss. You're just like, try that it. Moment. Yes. Yeah. And just, yeah, and, it, it, and it was like, and it's so perfect. It's not a good kiss. It's not going to be, you know, it's so perfect. You know, uh, I am. And, and the, there was a line of dialogue that solved it. You know, we're just two people who like warm rolls. I mean, it's just right. You know, but the line, I know I can do better than that, that was just sort yeah, of in yeah. the moment. Get um, out. I th no, I think I, I, I think I fed him that line, yeah. Still fucking crazy. Incredible. Speaking well, of... It's I, always I, crazy when it works, man. <laughs> it, it really is. You know, when I was working on The Simpsons, that's what people sort of said about you, was that you were a guy that was in touch with the inspiration of the moment meaning you might be pointing this way 
and then you you see something, you hear something, you read something, and you're you're honed to the point where you go, wait a minute, that's that's calling to me. Let's let's push that into what we've been doing. Does that seem accurate? I think that's every comedy writing room, isn't it? Or maybe every writing room. Period. <laughs> I think, you know, to bring Judd up again, like he was even better than we were to be like, drop everything, that that's the direction. I, or, or I just saw that newscasters under fire fall in love a lot. That's the direction. We got to push that in. And I think that's like a underappreciated role. And I wanted to ask what specifically you think the screw that you tightened is on The Simpsons. You have the genius of Mac Raining, you have these great writers, but there's something very James L. Brooks about it. And I wonder when you look at all of this that you've done, what, where did you come in and go, let's tighten this up, let's, let's grease this? The Simpsons is more team written than, than any show I've ever been on. I mean, you know, they're the stellar people who control it. You know, there's, you know, Al Jean, Matt Selman, you know, uh, Mac Raining. You know, we, we, we have our hands on it and we have and we have and we have a, surprise, a great number of writers who've been there for a hunk of time. Mm. Uh, and we always have some new blood coming in and stuff like that. But in, in terms of the movie pulling you, you know, what I said at a certain point, the movie speaks for itself. We're, you know, it, it's there's nothing like the Simpsons. I mean, the Simpsons is we're in service. We're, you know, it's just. You know, it's. Uh, we, we, you know, the characters are great fun. Uh, the fact, the fact, and, and it's been true from the very beginning, we can do any kind of comedy with them. We can do a romantic comedy. We can, you know, we can, we, uh, we, we can, um, we can do farce. We can do, you know, we can do, we can do anything. You know, we yeah. can do fiscal comedy. We can do relationships. We, you know, it's just, and we have, uh, somebody counted up. We have three figures. It's in three figures, the number of characters we have. Yeah, yeah. We have a town. We have a damn town. And and it's like, and we're all in service. And it's just, you know, we all, it's, 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 you know, religion. It's, it's, yeah. you, well, you, it, you know, you, you, you know, you, what, you, what was your experience going through it? I mean, it was a dream come true. It was incredible. I still, this sounds like self-serving. I, I can't believe anything I wrote got on there, but I really speak highly of you and Al understanding what I wanted to do and being like, let's keep that in. Like Al sped up my sermon, like literally the, the sound, he sped it up rather than cut anything. And I was like, excuse me? When I wrote it, I'm so used to writing for other shows and them just butchering it. I was like, this is The Simpsons and don't get me wrong, you guys added... 3,000% more jokes and all these great moments and visual things and things I couldn't have No, but it was out. so exciting for us, this, the spirit of those episodes being unique to you. That was, think that, was, that was a thrill for us. That's what, I guess I shouldn't have been surprised, but that's what surprised me. I kind of thought I was coming into the Harvard University of Comedy and I was going to give you a, an outline and you were going to go, thanks, kid. That, that's pretty cute that you thought it would be at a pancake house after the church. Uh, but we're going to do this because we know what we're doing. And then when I watch all of the guest written episodes, Mulaney's, you know, all the guest stars, um, I'm always struck with how much you guys allow the new talent or the guest talent to kind of put their mark on it. I, I just, 
that's just a real hats off to you guys. It was incredible. We just broadcast a show with Olivia Coleman and, um, and uh, the world's greatest actress, you know, there she is, Mm -hmm. there she Mm -hmm. is doing the Simpsons. And, and it was, it was. I know. Unbelievable. I mean, you had Michael Jackson on for crying out loud. I didn't even (laughs) know that was Michael Jackson. Were you there when he came in to record? Yes. Was he a fan? Did he know what he was doing? <laughs> um, he was a fan. This, I'm just, I, I don't want to finish this sentence. Um, it's like, oh, it's, I, it's like the Simpsons it. where you go into Homer's brain and you see the, you see somebody praying, don't say it. Homer, you know, it's, <laughs> that's it. I'm out of here. Yeah. I, now I need you to please. He, he, he was a fan of Barnes. Oh my God. Oh my God. There it is. All of, all of he the said, conflict. He called, um, he called me from what he said. I think he was on a plane. He called me from a plane, and this is this is at the height of Michael Jackson, which is like one of the great what four or five peaks like that, and yeah. you know ever ever yeah. you know Beatles Michael you know it's like that. Yeah. And uh, he Michael Jackson's on the phone. No, he's not. And 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 Michael Jackson's on the phone, claiming that he was i think it was president bush at the time that he was on a plane coming back to los angeles and bush had insisted on giving him a fighter pilot fire plane escort and, and oh my god so this wow. is all. and he said i love bart i want to give him a number one record that's how it started he gave bart a number one record we recorded with michael jackson and i remember I remember asking him about his dancing. I mean, you know, it was like, you know, this is thriller and everything. And he was sitting in a chair and he was saying, and he was saying, I don't. And as he sat in the chair and <laughs> talked about not being able to explain it, his feet were doing great stuff. His, you know, it was just like, and it was, and he was, you know, genius. And, wow. um, and then we did the show and his joke and it was it was a great story too. It was it was it was there was a there was a guy in an insane asylum who was a three hundred pound white guy who believed he was Michael Jackson and Michael Jackson played him. So it was yeah. a great it was a great story. Yeah. And um, and Michael's great thing was when Michael Jackson sang, we used his sound alike with him sitting there, and that really amused him. So the only thing not Michael Jackson in it was the singing. And oh my God! Why? Why was that? Just yeah, that was his. That was his inside joke to himself, or something. Oh my God! Um, unbelievable. When the show was starting, though, going from uh, Tracy Ullman to a series, do you remember having an instinct where you were like, "We need to make sure this show can support a story like Lurline or you know these these heartfelt things"? Is that this your was touch? this was. We were we were passionately not doing a cartoon, passionately not being a cartoon, passionately using you know one one three dimensional characters, you know just and so much so 
that for, I think, two years, we kept the voices of the actors secret. We don't want wow. anybody thinking that somebody, we want, we didn't, we, we don't want to, I think we, I think we were almost successful for almost two seasons. And then it was just sort of selfish or something. I don't know. It was like wrong to do at a certain point. It just sort of mm. happened. But that's how, that's how intense we were about, about creating the illusion, maintaining the illusion. Hmm. Can you tell me a story of a crossroads where you nudge things one way when it could have gone? There have been there have been a number. Of, the The Simpsons had a number of crossroads. We had we had you know, we had the the, the the sword point at our throats a few times. Yeah, I just mean sort of tonally, like what we know the show to be. No, because you can. Oh, this great thing is you can take it any place. You can right. you can. There's no there's nothing you can come in with. There's nothing it has to adhere to except trying to be good. Right. You know? I'm trying to be, you know, and and uh, we always want to be funny, but we but but we love it when we have an emotional show, right? Um, I I remember it was uh, really a thrill for me because one of the the, ver- the quotes that inspired the episodes that I wrote was Alan Watts, who's a Zen Buddhist, said that you shouldn't you should never confuse a symbol for what it's trying to take you to, meaning like a true religious experience. And this is something Alan Watts said, please don't anybody take me out of uh, context. But he was suggesting that Christians um, should burn the Bible every Easter, as if to say, it's not this Bible, it's this, it's living spirit, it's here and now, it's as available to us now as it was then, and uh, it will always be. Well, you feel that so, very deeply, because you, you wanted to also inject something similar to that in the show. I wanted... This is, this is very deep in Yes. You. I wanted Bodhi to burn the Bible uh, and, and for that to be something that would be why he had fallen from grace. I think we did. He did. Yes. But I, I wanted Lisa in his defense to say, no, he's trying to say, don't, we're trying to get to Detroit. Don't worship the road <laughs> sign that says this way to Detroit. He's saying it's not a Bible. He's saying it's not a building. He's saying it's not a set of beliefs. He's saying it's here and now, and it's available and as vibrant and juicy and alive as it could ever be. So don't get lost in any symbol. And then she, uh, I think we had it that she wasn't going to, but then she accidentally does. And I think Al pitched that somebody takes the American flag and tries to put it out with the American flag. (laughs) Um, And then we had uh, another alt where somebody burned, she burned the dictionary. Like um, somebody picks up the Bible and goes, this isn't the Bible, this is the dictionary. And I really like that because I think I wrote the joke where I was like, so she sort of burnt the Bible because in a way the dictionary is every book, <laughs> you know, like it, it's just every book uh, scattered, um, shuffled. But um, you, and I was grateful for this. Not that I think we were going to get backlash per se, but it was like, you reminded me like, this is still the Simpsons and you don't want it to be on the news. Like Simpsons burned the Bible. Like it, it was a consideration you you called the Simpsons a religion, and what they do is is very powerful to people and carries more weight than if I did it on uh, you know some other show. You know, it's on the Mary Tyler Moore show. You know, we we had a character called um, uh, uh, we had a clown, and and it was a, a little song, a little dance, a little seltzer down your pants. I try and remember that as a credo. <laughs> you know, always, you know, you just got to keep not taking yourself. The joke's the joke, the joke. I love that. And sorry, but he's the other 
you know, sort of brilliant producer I've worked with, that was Jed too. Jed was always trying to find ways to keep me from taking myself too seriously. And he would want, he didn't say a little song, a little dance, a little seltzer down your pants, but he would be Would like, you have gotten it more, would you have gotten the message better if he had said that? <laughs> yeah, maybe. I think if it had rhymed, I would Everybody have tries it. to make that complicated, man. <laughs> I just would have appreciated a good rhyme. <laughs> this, this is the part of the show, Jim. Thank you for being so generous with your time where we talk about this sort of stuff. Uh, and I'm very curious. I know you were, you're culturally Jewish. I'm wondering what your worldview is um, when it comes to this, 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 this moment right now, you are conscious, we are on a space rock floating in infinity, and there's a lot of different things happening, but underneath them, the thing that doesn't change is something is, something is. And what frameworks do you enjoy? Do you have any seltzer down your pants? Do you, do, do, do you, do you, since you say this is what you do on the show, you make this transition, people traditionally make the transition you're asking me to make right now and people yes people do that yes on every show and huh? usually i talk for at least seven minutes because i'm trying <laughs> to tell them that i don't need them to figure it out but usually there's like a couple little touchstones that people have it might be i don't know it could be um an experience you had it might be something religious I, that you held on I, to i i think you know Evil walks the earth right now, or certainly in evil. Evil is present. Um, I, you know, um, I, I, I try by. Um, oh, everybody does this. Okay, uh, I, I try. I don't think. You know, I, I don't think I have any great traits just springing from me or, you know, but I, I really try and uh, I really think it's important to attempt to be a good person. I think it's very important to attempt to show up for uh, the problems that that that, um, that face people. I certainly I certainly believe given my mother's journey, you know, I'm sort of, um, I know you don't forget what it's like to live like that. Um, and, and, and I mean, it always, it always knocks me as, as we talk, there are hungry children in this country. As we have this conversation, people, kids are hungry. You know, that is shameful. That is, you know, that's shameful. We, we, I think we'd agree. What the hell is that about? You know, and we're going to have discussions about raising taxes as 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 the, as the thing that you can't. You know, the, the the Bernie Bernie was right about all the stuff about distribution of wealth and stuff like that. I mean, there's no question that he was sensitive to something that's so important. Um, there are a lot of countries that where that that where just being a member of that country. You, you you don't have hungry children um you know it's so you know it's just important to try and uh, show up where you can um i'm i'm reminded that um so one of my great teachers is ramdas 
and his guru, um, uh, Neem Karoli Baba Maharaji, he said he didn't teach anything really. All he said was um, love everybody, serve everybody, feed people. Like one of them was specifically feed everybody. Yeah, Gary Shandling, you know, I, I just uh, adored his journey. Mm. I just I just thought Judd's documentary was fantastic. I, I just I just can never get over it. I find it overwhelming because I don't think anybody's ever loved a friend better. You know, mm. I mean, I mean, what he took on as a two year task in his life. And um, and I know from seeing the documentary, I, I gained, I, you know, I just gained something. I, you know, I knew Gary. I, I thought he was hilarious. But that but but then it's he did make the journey. He did. You, you, you know, there's a life you saw make somebody achieved, you know, the, uh, getting to the top of the mountain, you know, mm-hmm. the, though part of achieving is you don't say I'm at the top of the mountain, I guess. But mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah. He also, I think if, when I watched that documentary, what really stuck out to me was that he wanted to have no ego. He wanted to die and the notes to himself and the observations to himself and, and, you know, and, uh, and, and for, and for somebody who we used to have was a comic relief and stuff that they used to have once a year and always the killer jokes were Gary's, you know, right. 20 comedians went up there. Gary killed better than anybody. Everybody knew it, you know, so right. he was that guy, you know, and, right. and, and, and you could see it when he did, when he did, when he did the thing that when he did his riding in cars, um, you know, you could you felt this different man where 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 and Seinfeld couldn't resist it, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it was it was you know in the comedy it was just it was so genuine that you couldn't resist it. Right, right. With, with what he achieved, you know. Yeah, and you have some of that going for you, man. Oh, <laughs> I really appreciate that. That's incredibly kind. <laughs> The Gary that I knew was towards the end of his life. Obviously, we didn't know. And and he was very calm. He was really interested in what we've talked about a little bit in this conversation of getting out of his own way and letting things happen naturally. He sort of had that kisser man sort of thing going for him, even when he was just alone on stage. And I think that came from some of his spiritual uh, insight. Or it could just be like his own introspection, which is what you see in all that journaling. But uh, do you find yourself having any sort of tie to an idea of God or anything like that? Yes. I feel like Frost Nixon. I'm like, if I don't, <laughs> if I don't say anything, will Mr. Brooks elaborate? I, Go ahead. I mean, he liked Bart. We've 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 gone we've gone all over the place. Um, you meaning you have some sense of this having. Uh, a bigger scope, a bigger picture than just whatever it is you and I are worried about today or a month ago, that there's some pulse? I, you know, I, I, I go to services in the high holidays only, you know, um, but it's, 
I, um, if, if goodness is real and, and badness is real, <laughs> you know, um, and you believe in goodness, you know, it's just, uh, and don't, and you know, you feel, I, I feel, who, who was it, who was it who came up with our better selves? I'm just reading the Obama book and, you know, the, our higher angels. What is that? Better angels. What is, what is that expression that people use? Our better angels or. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm also unable to quote it, but I know what you but, mean. But it's, but, it, but, but uh, he talks about that, but I think that's a form of what I, what, what my yes is, you know, that there's, you know, just looking for, um, I got nothing but, you know, some, <laughs> some, some uh so, you know some brain cells that that that, that aren't verbal uh, you know i'm not just trying to uh help i think it's beautiful in the jewish religion uh that god is an unpronounceable word i think that's one of the most brilliant uh things about the hebrew scriptures is that you know the whole g-d thing the whole yahweh w y h w h meaning you can't even say it so usually this part of the conversation, while it can be fun, is just, Terrence McKenna says there is a realm that's beyond speech. It's just so damn hard to talk about, which I think is what we're sort of running up against. We know that, as Harold Ramis said, there's good guys and bad guys. I've just always known, be a good guy, be a good guy. It, it didn't seem to be too complicated. You see- And he was a very good guy. And he was- That's right. Guy. That's right. You see the Buddhists just going around going, man. He, yeah. Tell me, tell me. But you know, but Billy Graham was a uh, Billy. Billy Graham was a. Uh, you know, we recorded. You know, we have tape of him being anti-Semitic, and mm. um, and uh, with Nixon, and uh, and he'd go into an arena and uh, and he'd preach God and and he'd convert record numbers of people who would have a, you know, and 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 you know. So he wasn't a particularly good person, but what he triggered had to be, you know, I mean, what he triggered by saying this, it's sort of, tell me how, tell me how you see that example. That, that's a tricky one. First of all, I just read somewhere that Billy Graham said he regretted his entire life after that, that he didn't stick up to the president, that well, he sort good. of... It was far more than not sticking up. <laughs> was it? I, I'm not. As I, as I recall, it was. It was no. It was not the sin of silence. It wasn't. It was. Okay. <laughs> well, then maybe he his regret went further. But you know, when it comes to my old style of Christianity, was if I was talking to you, Jim Brooks, and you are Jewish, and I am Christian in this scenario, um, I want you to pray to Jesus Christ. Um, you are my personal Lord and Savior, and I dedicate my life to you. And if we're at a Billy Graham um, revival, I might want you to sign a little piece of paper the size of a business card that says that, and maybe you'll keep it in your Bible. The problem with that is, is we're sort of materializing and turning it into the scorekeeping thing, where you can be saved, right? Where Christians use that word, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. When I really think what Jesus was pointing us to. And I think Billy Graham would agree with this, whether or not I, I, I can't know for sure. I'm just saying, I'm sure I don't know anything he hasn't heard was that we're actually looking for a complete changing of how you view the world. You want a complete transformation 
of your brain, of your eyes, of your body. And, and this is what Jesus is saying about uh, you put old wine into new wine skins, they burst or the other way around. We need to change the skins. We need to change who you are. So my homeboy, Richard Rohr, who's a Franciscan friar, is always going around saying like, people can just say I'm saved. I, I went to the, I watched the thing on TV and I'm saved. He's like, but we don't really have any no- way of knowing if do that's you, true. Do you feel Christianity is being misrepresented today? Deeply. <laughs> deeply, deeply. How did that deeply. happen? I think it got turned into uh, something that our brains could control. You know, here you and I are looking for the right words. And I think that's a more appropriate place to stand nowhere. But we turned it into a marketing pitch. Um, You and I are going to die. You and I don't know when we're going to die. You and I don't know how we got here. And you and I don't know what happens after this. So they put a clock on it. Just like I'm going to say, you need to go to work, buy a car. You're going to die by this religion. And I think that might have been well-intentioned, but all of the transformation, the real work got taken out of it. The real like day-to-day, can I be in church or in the spirit? Can I be praying? And I don't mean a laundry list of requests to God as I talk to you, but can I be in the moment with you now? That feels like the closer to the transformation. And that changes your heart. That leads to a love of the poor. That leads to uh, being graceful under persecution. These are, these are the signs of being saved. It's, it, it never was, in my opinion, supposed to be about going to heaven or hell. And, and no, I don't even mean that. I mean the way the the way it's political politics. Oh, forget it. Forget it. Forget it. I can't even watch it when people are somehow misconstruing <sighs> being a Republican and being this kind of a Republican with being Christ-like. I I, I don't even understand. I think the entryway is is things like abortion. You go like, well, he's pro-life. And then that sort of, when I was a Christian in that way, that paves a lot of the way. You're sort of like a one-issue voter. And then you look the other way on what I know a lot of Christian people acknowledge is like flaws in Trump or whatever. But I'm not seeing, it's just as simple as like, is loving your neighbor putting their children in cages? It's literally our neighbor. It's literally geographically our neighbor. I don't, I, I can't. That, that to me isn't even religion at this point. It's become its own, it's become its own thing. It's like a, it's like a club or something. It's like a nationality merged with religion, merged with um, all these other things. I, I, I'm not an expert on it, but when I see people tweeting those clips or these news clips, I, I can't even watch them. It just, it sets me off too much. So I, I, I hope we get it back or change it. Well, the one thing we all have in common is this is the worst time any of us have ever been through. And that's, that's a common experience. That's a common ground. Yeah. That, 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 that we think there's something fundamentally wrong with the other half of us. And, uh, mm. and that, and that we, and you know, I, I wonder when we could, you know, thank God. Oh, there you go. Thank. Uh, <laughs> um, I think we're going to come out of this soon. Um, yeah. but we, we will have 350 million people who were traumatized at the same time. That doesn't happen very often in history. And I yeah. wonder, I wonder as, as the wave splashes us on the shore, I wonder who will be when we get up and, you know, dry ourselves off. Yeah. I was just thinking about, remember gravity. Did you watch the movie gravity? Yes. 
Remember when Sandra Bullock gets back to earth and she crawls out of the water and she kisses me? Yes, yes, yeah. I think we need, this is my belief, that we need those moments of being tossed by a satellite in deep, dark, infinite space. I believe that the consciousness that started this wanted, want is a strong word, but was willing to play the pain game, the loss game, the separation game, the disagreement game, the seeing this sticker on this car and they're bad and seeing this sticker on this car and they're good, seeing the news, seeing all this stuff. And it's all, I think, arcing towards all of us on our knees, kissing the ground and going like, where have we been? We, it's such a, it's a, it's a shame that it's love and light bullshit. I'm a hippie. If I say you and I are brothers, we're made of the same stuff. If we're snowmen, you're made of snow and I'm made of snow. That's like a good way to understand it. But it's not snow, it's molecules. I have a great, true comedy counter. And this should be my my closer. But this this is um, a great, true comedy counterpart to your gravity story. I was uh, a journalist in New York. And I and as and, and I was doing a story because they were going to let me ride in a Blue Angel plane, wow. you know, with, with the Blue Angels. With Michael Jackson, the, this, this, this <laughs> one seat behind the other. I wow. get in the, I get in the plane. We take off, and there's a certain pitch they do where you go into a very steep dive, and they snap out of it. And at that moment, you rise up against your seatbelt, and the dust rises from the floor, and you're weightless. You experience weightlessness, which is, you know, which was extraordinary. Oh man, I said, even the, oh man, can we do it again? And we, and he, and we do it again over Long Island, down whatever the hell amount of miles it is, crack and weightlessness, and I start throwing up. And I, and and, and this is your gravity mo, and, and I'm throwing up in my mask. And now, and I can't get it off, and I can't get it off. And the pilot, the pilot says to, says to me, you know, he's trying to tell me, and I can't get it off. So now I'm in danger. This is a disgusting story I'm closing with of drowning. <laughs> now I'm in danger. Now I'm in danger of drowning. So they clear all the runways. We we make an emergency landing because I can't get this off. We land at the military airfield. An airman second class comes up and unclamps me, wipes wipes me off, <laughs> wipes oh. me off, and says, "It's okay, sir. This happens a lot. Now, if you step out of the plane, we'd like to make an honorary blue angel." <laughs> oh my God, so, that's yeah. it, gravity. You you just broke the arc of the story. I <laughs> hope that we're living. We've thrown up in our own mask. We need that airman. We all need need that airman. We need that airman. And I'm hopeful, Jim, somebody is coming to take off your mask and it's going to be beautiful. That is not gross. That is a perfect way to close. Thank you. Okay. Oh, you're great, man. Always good talking to you. I really, I hope you enjoyed it. There's one last thing the guest says. I thought it was too long. (laughs) (laughs) The guest, you have to do it though. The guest says, keep it crispy. That's how we sign off. It's keep it crispy. Keep it crispy. There it is. I'm so honored that you came on. It's always a pleasure. And I really hope to see you in person when this is all done. Great. You got it. Take okay, care. Okay, Jim. Bye-bye. Bye. I'm so crispy. My ice pain make you haters want to get me.